Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city, and, city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said, and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's the word of God. Billy, if you want to come up, we'll pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to um, just spend time in your word, to worship. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would move in our hearts and our minds and just hear what you have us to hear this week. Lord, we all walked in with different baggage from the week, Lord, and we just pray that we would lay that down. We would open our hearts and our minds just to hear your word and just speak through Billy, Lord, and, and help us to be receptive and open to what you would have us hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So I have told this story before that uh, my wife and I started out the year 2020 with a trip to Disney World. Um, but I have a confession to make. I have never gotten the hype behind Disney World. In fact, I always kind of felt like Disney people were a little weird. Um, and here's what I mean by that. Like, I get it. You know, I wanted to go to Disney World when I was a kid. But the thought of standing in line in Florida for hours for a three-minute ride or worse for a photo sounds like torment to me, right? And then it got weirder because I started talking to people and they would say things like, oh, we go all the time without the kids. And I'm like, you do? That's a choice? Yeah, okay. You know, and so we started planning this trip. Again, it was a trip that was gifted to us. And so I didn't really know what I was doing. So I'm asking some of my friends who know a lot more than I do. And I share my skeptic- some, some of my skepticism with folks. And they just would say, just wait. Just wait till you get there. Just wait till you go. And y'all, I've got to make a, another confession. We went and uh, I loved it. I absolutely had a blast. It was unbelievable. I was constantly surprised. I was like, how is the theme park so clean, right? I mean, maybe it's because I grew up going to like Carowinds and stuff. I'm like, there should be gum on things, right? It should be gross, but it's not. And then I would ask people where stuff was and they were pleasant. And that was confusing. It was just this really strange kind of place where we went. And then this was in the before time. So we had fast passes and all this stuff. And it was wild. And I remember talking to Hannah and being like, 
It'd be kind of cool if it was just me and you. Like, I kind of, I got it. it. It clicked for a moment. Now, I think we all know this instinctively that someone will share something they love with us and then they'll try their best to sell us on it, but they'll just say, you just gotta, you just gotta see it. You just gotta experience it for yourself. We all know that instinctively. We see it happen all the time. And how much more do we listen to that person when it's something that's actually life-changing, right? When they've experienced life change. We're in the midst of a short sermon series to open out 2023, asking the question, how do I love my neighbor? Um, It's week two of us being here in this new space. Um, We're blessed and honored to be here, and we're asking the question again, how do I love my neighbor? Last week, we looked at the question more specifically of who is my neighbor, and we looked at Jesus's most well-known story, the Good Samaritan. And answering that question, who is my neighbor, I think Scott Saul says it really well, so I'm just going to quote him. He says this, your neighbor, according to Jesus, is anyone who is near and is anyone who is in need. Anyone who is near and anyone who is need. So that's a pretty broad list. And we looked at this parable seeing that Jesus has loved and served us, and he propels us to love and serve others. And here we are, again, week two, We're in this neighborhood, and it's exciting, right? I want to look even more specifically at an interaction that Jesus has and see how we're called more specifically to love our neighbor. Here's the big idea this morning. It's really simple. It's this, invite others to come and see the one we follow. Invite others to come and see the one we follow. That's what I want you to really have at the forefront of your mind. Invite others. Let's go to our text and let's see first this idea that we are called to follow. Look at verse 43 with me. Verse, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to, to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, as we investigate this call to love our neighbor, we have to remember that neighbor love starts and ends with Jesus. Last week, we talked about the reality that, again, Jesus, he's the better neighbor. He's the one who pursued and loved us. And right here, right off the bat, we see this moment, this interaction between Jesus and Philip where he says, follow me. Just before this, he had done the same where he called Andrew, and then Andrew went and got Peter. And what's fascinating about this is the context of what's happening. In this day, to follow after a rabbi, you would go and seek them and ask them to follow them. To learn, from their che- to learn from their teaching, to learn from their training. But here Jesus is going up to people saying, hey, follow me. It's really strange. It's really different. He's the one doing the calling. And Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And he says the same to each and every single one of us. Follow me. Coram Deo, there is no Christianity without personal discipleship with Jesus. Right? If we're going to talk about how to love our neighbor We're only going to actually love our neighbor well if we love the better neighbor. Far too many people today who give no evidence of following Jesus believe that they're Christians because they had an intense experience once. Maybe they responded to an altar call long ago, or maybe because their parents or grandparents attend a church. But to be a Christian is to follow Jesus Christ. So quite simply, if you're not following Jesus, then you should not consider yourself a Christian. All these men became disciples this way by following Jesus. They called Jesus rabbi, teacher. 
and they committed themselves to learn from him. And we must do the same. And so when we get together, when we gather for worship, we must be taught by God's word. So let me ask simply this, are you learning from Jesus? Are you learning from Jesus? Again, too many professing Christians make little or no attempt to increase their biblical understanding. They resist having any of their cultural concepts challenged by Christ's teaching. Often we try to measure up the word of God against whether or not it fits with culture's standards instead of the inverse. And what's the result? Frankly, it's a weak and ineffective church. To be a Christian, friends, is to follow Jesus. It's to follow his example. And when he says, follow me, Jesus means that we're to follow his manner of life, his attitude towards others, his submission to the will of the Father. Indeed, to follow Jesus is to go where he went, which is to the cross. Christ died in our place for our sins. And he says, if anyone would come after me, he says in Luke 9, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So let me ask Coram Deo, are you willing to have your lifestyle changed and your priorities turned upside down? Are you? I mean, let me just be really blunt. If not, then you cannot be a Christian. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. For Bonhoeffer, that meant standing up to the Nazi regime in Germany for which he was put to death. For believers in the Arab world, it means the prospect of a violent death. For many of us, it means forsaking materialistic self-absorption in order to serve and to give. In order to truly be saved, we have to follow Jesus. We have to take up the cross. And most of all, following Jesus means relying on him for our salvation. We sang this earlier. Michael sang this, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What are you leaning on, looking to, to save you? We've talked about this a lot at Coram Deo, that our greatest need is not that we need one specific like understanding or maybe just a little bit more knowledge. Our greatest need is that we need a savior. Jesus used the image of a shepherd leading his sheep. And sheep depend on the shepherd and we totally depend on Jesus. We rely on his atoning blood to wash away our sins, on his righteousness to clothe us for glory. We rely on his word for truth and his spirit for power. We rely on his favor with the father to make us beloved children. That's why the cross, though an instrument of death, is in fact a doorway to life. Jesus says in Luke 9, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Coram Deo, Jesus calls us to follow him. If we're going to do this thing, right? If we're going to keep going forward, if we're going to bring the gospel to this neighborhood, to Burke County, it starts with bringing the gospel to our hearts. So search your heart. Are you following Jesus? Have you heard his voice through the word calling you? Do you walk in repentance and faith? I mean, do you repent to your children, friends? Do you repent, do you repent to your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors? Because again, the life of faith is a life of repentance. An analogy that stuck with me, and granted, y'all, it's cheesy, okay? So I didn't write this, so if you hate it, don't blame me, but I did choose it. But the point is plain, and it's helpful, the planet Mercury's hot, 
the planet Pluto is cold. Don't get on me that Pluto's not a planet. It's a planet, all right? So why is Pluto cold and Mercury hot? Well, Mercury is really close to the sun, and Pluto is a long way off. The farther you get away, the colder things become. But the closer you get, the hotter things are. And you may say that you're not a Pluto Christian or a Mercury Christian. Maybe you're an Earth Christian where things kind of get hot and cold. You may be a seasonal Christian who has changes depending on whether it's winter, summer, spring, or fall, but God is looking for those who would draw near, for Mercury Christians, for folks who want to get close and stay hot because they stay close to the sun. Coram Deo, are you following Jesus? Like, what are you looking to to give you life and joy and sustenance? Because I promise you, if it's not Christ, it will fail you. Time and time again, it will fail you. Like, I, we live in a world of broken things, okay? We were given a Christmas gift. I'll tell you guys one story that's not here. We're given a Christmas gift. We were elated. We open it. We come here. We do this move. Everything's exciting. We get all this stuff in here, and I'm driving home, and my brakes go all the way to the floor, okay? That's not good. You don't want that. I'm going downhill. There's a busy intersection. I'm praying, let me see my son again, right? Because the brakes are going to the floor. $800 later, we've got everything figured out. The point of that is this. If you think everything's good, everything's going great, things start to crumble and fall and remind you that the world is broken all the time. So when you look for peace and stability and comfort and numbness, I promise you, God in his kindness will remind you that he's the only one who satisfies. Follow Jesus. Because once you experience the goodness of Jesus, friends, you're gonna want others to know this truth. You're gonna invite them to come and see. And that's exactly what we see Philip do. So second, come and see. Look at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Philip encountered Jesus. And once he meets him, he has to share it with others. So he goes out and he gets Nathaniel and he tells him about Jesus. The only problem is that Nathaniel, well, he's a little skeptical, right? First of all, he's not a big fan of Nazareth. This is kind of like a rivalry thing. So think Chapel Hill versus Durham kind of thing. Can anything good really come from that place? That's the idea. Now, perhaps when you've shared Jesus with others, with your friends, they've been skeptical for different reasons than where Jesus is from. Maybe there's been reservations because of the people who make up the church, or maybe the reasons they have are cultural or historical. But here's what I love and what I would challenge you on. Philip doesn't seek to answer all of Nathaniel's questions, right? He doesn't go, well, you got the wrong idea about Nazareth. You see, and he's not like trying to say, well, Jesus was really born in Bethlehem, so he does fulfill the prophecy of the law, but he's, he grew up in Nazareth because he had to run. He doesn't do all that. Instead, he just simply says, come and see. Friends, in our desire to show the love of Jesus with others, have we taken them to Jesus? Listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek to have answers or brush up on our apologetics, but often we can get so caught up in answering questions that it becomes more about winning an argument than about inviting others to come and see. 
A couple weeks ago, about a month ago, I gave out a book called Intentional. It's a book that's helped me to implement the come and see principle. This idea that we we should be taking people to Jesus. And the author of the book has such a a beautiful statement. His name's Paul Williams. And it's a little long, but I'm going to read it to you. It's really helpful. He says this, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. And so in every evangelistic conversation, we should try and take people to Jesus. He is the one we want to talk about. He is the one person that everyone needs to know about. He is the way we know God, the way we come to God, and the one in whom we can have life. So whenever we're asked a question about what we believe, whatever the question, we do well to ask ourselves, what did Jesus say on this issue? Or how can I answer this question from the life or lips of Jesus? Answering a question like this does three things. First, When I take people to Jesus, I am taking them to the one who is the focus of the gospel. Two, if the questioner doesn't like the answer, their issue is with Jesus, not me. Three, having spoken about Jesus, it's then very natural to talk more about Jesus as the conversation progresses. I love this because it's so helpful for us to look at the life and ministry of Jesus and to see where people are at and where they're coming from and to bring them to Jesus. Rather than trying to have a nuanced conversation, maybe about science, which we know nothing about, maybe some of you do, no offense, right? But rather than getting in and trying to parse through and win an argument, we just bring them to the one who's changed everything for us. Tony Evans shared an analogy that I find incredibly helpful. He says, the reason that we don't do more evangelism, this idea of having conversations about Jesus with others, is that we've lost concern for the lost. Most people are not concerned that they are lost. They're like the little boy at Disney World who was enjoying Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. He was enjoying the Ferris wheel and the roller coasters. He was having a marvelous time and in the midst of the crowd got separated from his parents. And when he got separated from his parents, he didn't know that he was lost because he was having so much fun on the rides. Satan has constructed this world in order to give you enough distractions so that you don't know that you've gotten lost in your own spiritual Disney world. We've got a world full of people who don't know that the fun in this world and all the world is offering them, the movies, the parties, the clubs, the social relationships, the money, the job, it's all satanic camouflage to keep them from realizing that they've been separated from God. Mankind spends so much time having fun that they don't know that they're lost and headed for destruction. However, the parents of this particular child were looking for him. They knew he was lost at Disney World. They went to an officer. They told security that they couldn't find their child. And the security man led the lost child who didn't even know he was lost to his parents. God wants to find lost people. Friends, we are the security guard to bring lost people into contact with the God who wants to regain fellowship with them. That's our task in evangelism. We bring them to Jesus. Let me just say this very simply for you. You don't save anyone. Let me just take all the pressure off of you. Jesus saves, not you. And when we try to win the argument, when we try to compel people, or we're too afraid to even open our mouths, we're putting all of the onus, all of the weight on our shoulders instead of on the one who carried the weight to the cross of Calvary. Let's trust in Jesus. We are the ones, friends, that God has chosen to deliver this message. So Coram Deo, let's be like Philip and invite others to come and see. 
Come and see, friend. Come and see how Jesus has worked in my life. I mean, come and see this community, this church that Jesus has called together. Come and see the one who's turned my world upside down. See, here's the thing. If we do not have Phillips, then under God's providence, we're unlikely to have Nathaniel's. Who do you need to invite to come and see? Whose skepticism are you willing to face because you know the one who can bring hope beyond hope to their life? So what happens when Nathaniel finally meets Jesus? Well, we see third, surprisingly, Jesus finds us. Jesus finds us. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So Nathanael is coming, he's following, we don't know, maybe begrudgingly, and he sees Jesus and Jesus says, ah, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's taken aback by this, like, I've never met you before. How do you know me? And Jesus says, oh, before he, Philip came and got you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel freaks out, and it's like, you're, you're the son of God. Now, we're reading this, and it's hard for us. We're like, okay, <laughs> calm down, right? Nathaniel, like, what are you doing here? Like, what's the deal? What, why is this happening? How did Jesus' words make such a strong faith so fast? But remember that Nathaniel is one in the presence of Christ. Second, that the impact of this encounter would have involved more than just words, right? That the spirit is at work. But Jesus reveals this superhuman knowledge to Nathaniel. And there's a lot of commentators who try to figure out what it is. Maybe they think that he was praying under the fig tree before Philip come, or maybe he was thinking about things that he had been hearing about a coming Messiah. Maybe he was considering going to get baptized by John the Baptist as others had done. But here's the thing, we don't know, but Nathaniel did. And now he's found that Jesus knows the inward things of his heart. Coram Deo, the same thing happens to us when we come to Christ through his word. Listen to Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirits, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is the very thing that Jesus does to Nathaniel. Friend, if, you've, if you bring your heart to Jesus, if you come in the manner that Nathaniel comes, sincerely, without deceit, then his word will persuade you too that he is the very son of God. Jesus' words to Nathaniel show that when we think we have found Jesus, it's really Jesus who has found us. I love this word found. It it shapes the actions in this portion of the gospel of John. Andrew finds his brother Simon and he says, we have found the Messiah. Jesus finds Philip and then Philip found Nathanael saying, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. But through all these various means, it's really Jesus who's finding his disciples. He later explains in John 15, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
Before Philip called you, he told Nathanael, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And the same is true of every other believer. In a famous set of parables, Jesus compared himself to a shepherd who goes out seeking the one who had wandered away. Then to a woman who searches a house for a coin that had been lost. And finally, to a father who rejoices at the return of a lost child. It's for this that Jesus came into the world. He says over every new disciple, everyone that comes to follow him, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. This morning, is that you? Every Christian who finds and follows Jesus can have the comfort of knowing that they were first personally found and chosen by Jesus. After this initial interaction, Jesus tells Philip, if you think that's amazing, you're gonna see more. It's said that seeing is believing, but Jesus shows us that believing also leads to seeing. If these disciples could see all that would occur, right? if they could somehow zoom forward and see what's gonna happen over the years to come with Jesus, the miracles, the great confrontations, especially his death, on the cross and his resurrection, they would be more than amazed. Likewise, if we believe and follow Jesus, we will see glorious things in the church. You wanna love your neighbors? Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus because following Jesus leads to seeing him work in power. The average Christian Okay, the average Christian who sincerely follows Jesus and serves faithfully sees miracles happen in response to prayer, sees hardened sinners turn swiftly to Jesus, sees the lowly lifted up, and sees proof after proof after proof of the grace and power of God at work through Jesus Christ. If you will follow him, then you too will see greater things than you could ever imagine. Jesus concluded with a statement that's puzzled a lot of people. He says in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What this refers to is an event in the life of the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament patriarch, Jacob. Jesus was probably actually referencing uh, Jacob when he calls Nathanael an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. See, Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel and his name meant grasping or deceitful which really described Jacob's character. But when he finally submitted his heart, God changed his name to Israel. And so Jesus was saying here that Nathanael had no Jacob, but only Israel in him. And now Jesus adds that Nathanael would have experiences very much like those that Jacob had. Jesus is referring to a vision that Jacob received when he was running away from his brother Esau. Jacob was alone, he's in the wild, he's exhausted, and so he lays his head down with his head on a rock to sleep. And God gives him this vision of a ladder reaching up from earth, from earth to heaven. And he says that the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God promised Jacob blessing and confirmed his covenant with him, and in turn, Jacob named the place Bethel, the house of God. Jesus now names himself as that ladder. The ladder by which God's mercy comes from heaven to earth. He says, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. 
To have heaven opened is to have God's approval. When Jesus is baptized, the heavens open and God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We are likewise approved by God only through Jesus Christ who makes us God's beloved children. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. He is the mediator and savior who reconciles heaven and earth. That's what we need, Coramdeo. It's the hope of the world. Do you want to be a good neighbor? Then invite others to come and see the one we follow. Will it be scary at times? Absolutely. Will they have questions? Most certainly. But this vision also speaks of angels descending from heaven to earth, and it shows us how Jesus secures God's help for us in this world. This is what Jacob needed to learn as he was running away from his home. And it's what Nathaniel needed to know as he was going to leave everything to follow Jesus. And we need to know the same. That when we take up our cross and we follow Jesus, that the angels of God come speeding down to help us on the way. Symbolically, Jesus also speaks of the angels ascending back from earth up to heaven. And it reminds us that through faith in Christ, we now have access to God and that our prayers speed upward to the throne of grace above where we have a mediator who prays on our behalf and his name is Jesus. I love this because often we we can get a little too mystical with this. The reality is this, Jesus keeps us secure and safe. As we go forward speaking the hope of the gospel, we can be sure that Jesus goes before us in power. My brother, um, he buys and sells old books. Um, He works for a company called Showman's Aquarian, and I'll talk to him, I'll be like, man, check out this old book from the 1800s, and he's like, that's not old. I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, I was looking at a book from the 1400s. I'm like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? The what what I didn't even know that like paper didn't dissolve like over time. Like, I didn't realize books could be that old. Well, he gave me a book um, a couple years ago. Uh, uh, tells the story of a missionary named John G. Patton. Patton and his wife were groundbreaking missionaries in the New Hebrides Islands. Their lives were frequently in danger. The tribes that they were seeking to take the hope of the gospel to were extremely violent and volatile. Patton had encountered Christ and he was willing to do whatever it took to take risks to invite others to come and see the one who had changed his life. There was a dark night about 100 years ago when he and his family were surrounded by cannibals determined to take their lives. Terrified, they got on their knees and prayed to God for help. And they heard outside of their home savage cries and imagined the horrors drawing near. But morning came and the natives retreated into the forest. And the Patons didn't understand what had happened. They did not learn how they had been saved until about a year later when the tribal chieftain came to faith in Christ. Patton asked him, why did you run away that night? Why did the tribesmen flee? And the chieftain answered, who were all those men with you? The missionary replied, there were no men. It was just us, just me and my wife praying alone. And the chieftain got very upset and said, there were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with drawn swords circling about your house so that we couldn't attack. Coramdeo, we can expect this kind of divine help and care through Jesus Christ. 
When Jesus says in John 1:51, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he was practicing his southeast draw because that you is actually y'all. Y'all will see the Son of Man. Y'all will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He was not just speaking to Nathaniel, nor to just those first disciples, but to everyone he calls, saying, follow me. If you hear that call and follow Jesus, know that the same power that brings angels speeding to earth, the same power that reconciles heaven and earth, the same power that put breath into the lungs of a dead man, is the power that takes up residence in you. Don't keep this to yourself. Tell others. Invite them to come and see. We'll close with a couple application questions for you. First, what steps am I taking to follow after Jesus? What steps am I taking to follow after Jesus? Is there an area I have grown apathetic in? Where do I need to repent? What steps am I taking to follow after Jesus? Is there an area I have grown apathetic in? Where do I need to repent? Second, how can I invite my neighbor to come and see Jesus? How can I invite my neighbor to come and see Jesus? And third, how am I comforted to know that Jesus has found and chosen me? Do I believe that? How am I comforted to know that Jesus has found and chosen me? Do I believe that? Cormdale, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the hope of the gospel. Lord, that you have loved us, pursued us, and made much of yourself in and through us. Lord, would we see the reality that you are a God who is at work in us. That you are a God who is indeed mighty to save. And Lord, would we invite others to come and see and experience the truth of Jesus. Would we be good neighbors, Lord? Not selfish neighbors, not indifferent or fearful, but confident. Knowing that you go before us. That you are the one who saves. That you will make much of yourself. So we pray that you would do that in us. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.